Here's why. Like, you know, we've like seen good quarterbacks really any out that if they work out the two world-class players. The Lions just turned everything around. I mean, even the other week. Here's my problem. I don't think they're going to Roll Tide! Welcome to the new edition of the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast. The EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast is back in the NFL segment is back as well. I'm joined by Leon, Alex, Parker, and Toby. We're going to go through all the breaking news in the NFL. Odell's been released. The Titans lost Derrick Henry for the year. The Bills get upset. Uh, the Saints lose Jameis Winston for the year. But I want to start in Tennessee because arguably the league's MVP is now done for the season. Derrick Henry, a guy we all thought might be invincible, goes down, and the Titans are now relying on 30-whatever, 7-year-old Adrian Peterson and Jeremy McNichols. How do we think the Titans stand in a, a bad division, but can they compete for a Super Bowl without Derrick Henry? Okay. Uh, you took that one too far with the Super Bowl thing. I don't think – they might not even have been Super Bowl contenders with Derrick Henry, but – Definitely not at this point. Like the rest of their season is screwed. The Colts are trending upwards. I think at this point, I think their records are like six and two and four and five. So the Colts have still got quite a few games to make up, but I think they're going to do it because they've been playing so well recently. Michael Pittman Jr., we ID'd that guy as somebody who would have to step up for this Colts offense to really take strides moving forwards. He's been playing great. Just toss it up to him and he's catching it, at least at this point. Jonathan Taylor's had some really good games. They've had a few other receivers step up when they need to. And they've been putting together, they've been stringing together some wins. So I think at this point, just even though the Tennessee Titans have the lead in that division by quite a few games, they're kind of done. I don't want to say they're done competing for the division, but I, I don't think they're the favorite to win the division. I do think the Tennessee Titans will still hold on to the division, but I want to bring up something else. Why do teams keep going back to a guy like Adrian Peterson? I mean, Brendan said it. He's 38-something years old. He's For the past few years that he's been rostered, he hasn't showed anything that he can still run the ball at a high level. Why do the – there's got to be a better guy out there than Adrian Peterson to bring in to fill for Derrick Henry. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point, and I think what what kind of screwed over the Tennessee Titans is the fact that this injury comes – right after the NFL trade deadline. So like, obviously if there was an elite running back sitting on the free agency market, that'd be perfect, but there isn't. And so they can't make a trade. They're stuck with the guys they have. And obviously they weren't, you know, too content with what they have. So they go and get Adrian Peterson. I mean, you know, we talk about how old he is, but he is a hall of fame, legendary top 10 running back of all time. And he wasn't, he wasn't great in Detroit when, you know, in last stint, but he wasn't terrible. But, but being a top 10 running back all time doesn't matter at this point. Like, okay, I don't, I don't even know why you're bringing that up because it has no relevance on his ability to succeed in Tennessee. But irregardless of that, Adrian Peterson is, like you said, 37. He has no, like, side-to-side field speed anymore. He's, he's just not the same athlete that he once was. And one of the big reasons that Derrick Henry is so effective and this Titans team is so effective running the ball is because Derrick Henry can go inside the tackles and outside. And he's so dangerous outside of the tackles where he can, he can just kind of run by and then a, a DB comes up to make a play on him. And he just throws him into the ground because he's got like massive arms. Like they're just extremely long. So that, that kind of dynamic is so unique to an NFL running back. And then he's such a physical big dude that he could just pound it inside the tackles when he needs to. Adrian Peterson can kind of still run it, but really only exclusively inside the tackles, I think is, is the only place they're going to find success with him. So you lose that ability to hit a team on the perimeter 
with your you know perimeter run game. So guys like AJ Brown and Julio Jones, I think, have to step up big in the kind of quick passing perimeter passing game for Tennessee to to you know not drop all the way down in the division. And another reason the Titans' offense was so potent is not only Derrick Henry, but the threat of Derrick Henry. Teams knew that if they didn't load the box, if they didn't run heavy on the defense, that they weren't going to be able to stop him. So that made for opportunities in the play-action pass and the short route passes for Ryan Tannehill. And now you're going to have to change the whole offense, which was revolved around Derrick Henry as he gone to something else where you can just maybe put Ryan Tannehill back in the pocket and just hopefully he can make plays. Yeah, obviously you can't replace Derrick Henry. He's just a, a nat, like a specimen a human being. But we saw we saw the Ravens did it by replacing uh uh J.K. Dobbins and their uh, RB two. I believe the Titans can do the same thing. Uh, like I believe that there's a lot of talent in the free agent market with running backs, and I feel like, I feel like running backs was one of the easier easiest position to replace. I believe the Titans are just fine. I think they they can still win the AFC South. Do you think Adrian Peterson is the answer, Leon? Well, they also have Jeremy McNichols, I believe. So I feel like these those two are able to um, uh, to, like carry the load. Who 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 is this guy? Like McNichols or whatever? Has he played like a, a you know serious NFL snap in his career? Sounds like he could be a better soccer player than a football player. Yeah, I I I don't I don't know what Leon's talking about here. I guess you could kind of replace him in the aggregate, like the Ravens did, if you brought in the right guys, but. At least in my opinion, in no way are those two guys the right two to replace Derrick Henry. I mean, I think we're getting really, back here. Can't really you, replace Derrick Henry. Right. Thank you. Toby is the first person to speak some sense into this podcast. They're not. Yeah. Well, I just wait, 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 I hold on a second. But Leon, Leon's saying they're fine. Running backs are so replaceable. Like, there's not a Derrick Henry Jr. sitting on the street. Baltimore got the four best running backs remaining on the market and like, Baltimore's just a good run scheme. We've seen every running back have success there. Tennessee has the biggest freak of nature at the running back position we've probably ever seen. You're never going to replace him. You're never going to get anything close to him. And that's why I'm going to say Tennessee Titans are done. Are they going to make the playoffs? Probably. We've talked about the Colts just aren't that good. That division stinks. But this Tennessee Titans team Dude, is not getting the Colts enough Derrick credit. Derrick Henry Dude, is MVP of the league, right? For a reason. He runs, they set up the pass. Adrian Peterson, Jeremy McNichols, they're not Derrick Henry. They're not even close. I think this is a silly even question even to be asking whether the Titans can contend at all. Yeah, uh, there's, there's no way that they're contending. I think the real question lies in whether or not they, they still take the division. Given the leg up that they have in the Colts and how the teams are trending, you say, okay, they have a lead right now, but they're kind of you'd assume that they're going to, take a step back at this point the Colts have been playing on fire recently so so who takes that division is the real question here I think I still think it's the Titans I didn't the Colts passing game is so bad I don't think Jonathan Taylor only being in his what sophomore year I don't think he can carry that team the way a Derrick Henry does I think that as the season goes on more teams are going to expose Carson Wentz and the lack of passing the Colts have and kind of get them for their the Titans are still going to win it all right, yeah. let's, let's talk about OBJ because, you know, we touched on there's not many good free agents, free agent running backs on the street right now. Suddenly there is an all-pro receiver sitting there waiting to be signed in Odell Beckham. Obviously, we've talked about the Browns' struggles. Him and Baker just never got it going. But now Odell Beckham is going to go through waivers. Doesn't exactly sound like he'll be claimed, but, you know, there's always a possibility. 
let's say he doesn't get claimed. Where's the best spot for Odell to go? Obviously, knowing that he will only sign with a contender, he said. I, I, I got no idea. I don't really think – I don't think there's a contender that wants Odell Beckham. Uh, it's it's kind of like what he wants versus what the – you know, like the teams that are going to want Odell Beckham are not the teams that Odell Beckham is going to want to sign with. And I think he's kind of overrated. You said oh, there's an all-pro receiver kind of waiting on the market for a team to pick up. Yeah, he might have been that in the past. I don't think that's who he is. Uh, and I, I think he was kind of always a little bit overrated because of that catch. As crazy as it seems, I think that catch kind of defined him. And, and people looked at that crazy feat of athleticism uh, and some of the highlight plays that he's had and his ability to, to you know, his crazy skilled hands. And, and they've, they've anointed him as this great receiver where, where maybe some of the other traits that make up a really great elite receiver were kind of lacking um, so could he be beneficiary to a contender? Sure. But is there going to be a, a legitimate contender that, that is seriously interested in signing the, the personality and the ego and the, the locker room issues that come with bringing in Odell Beckham and, and how much that skill set really improves that team? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't, I can't think of a contender that would want to sign him. Thank you, Card. Odell Beckham Jr. is a liability for any team that decides to make a move on him. He's not good on the field. He never has been good. He had one year where he was all right. He was a good receiver, but he was never great. He's a baby. He gets injured all the time. He's injury prone. He cries when he doesn't get the ball thrown to him. And there's other receivers that are not on teams or that are third, four strings on the teams that are just better than him and don't come with the problems that come with him. I think if you want to keep a good locker room and a good team you don't go for Odell Beckham he's not that good and he is a liability yeah it's like an all risk no reward for teams like the Buccaneers or the Bills or, or other you know championship contenders like you screw with the locker room and you maybe kind of get a talented receiver I don't you, you don't really know what you're getting with Odell Beckham. just just put a pause to this I mean this is this is a highlight of a freezing cold take Odell Beckham may not look like the receiver that he once was. And I understand he got maybe overhyped because of his catch, but this is a guy who was an all pro pro bowl receiver with the giants. And it just hasn't worked out with the Browns. I think it's recency bias to say this guy's no longer a good receiver. Is he a top five receiver in the game? I'm not going to say that, but he just didn't have chemistry with Baker. We've kind of seen that it was more of a distraction for Baker to even have a superstar receiver. Maybe that's just the type of guy Baker is, but you're going to tell me Mac Jones doesn't get better with Odell Beckham Jr. at receiver instead of Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, and Jacoby Myers? I mean, are you going to tell me Derek Carr doesn't get better with Odell Beckham instead of Zay Jones? Yeah, like, so, you, so, you're so you're me Seahawks don't get better with Odell as their third receiver. Whoever you want to say, any of these contenders, I know the Seahawks, I guess, aren't even a contender, so we can't consider them, but any of these contenders, I would say like a good 50% of them, you could plug Odell Beckham in. And it's a great fit. Yeah, but that, that's, that's making the assumption that Odo Beckham is just like some, some personality robot and he doesn't bring any you know, off-the-field issues with the team. or uh, The fact that he's even on the field, like Parker brought up, he's been injured so much recently. You know, like, if you were to just get like a, the skill set of Odell Beckham but you know, with the personality and, and the, the sustainability of another receiver, sure, it's a great move for the Patriots to go out and get somebody like that, get Mac Jones more help. He's already got... Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne and, and those two tight ends there, but you get more assistance that that's great. And for the Seahawks, obviously that'd be a huge get 
for Russell Wilson, you'd have more, you know, talented guys to spread the ball around to, but is it worth it? Like this is, I think this is the point that me and Parker are trying to make is Odell Beckham is, is great. Sure. As a kind of great, I guess, as a talent perspective, but is it worth the risk to bring him in? And I think for a lot of contenders, and especially this far into the season where you already have some team chemistry that's been built, you already have kind of a personality to the locker room, throwing in a big personality, a big ego like Odell Beckham, who might not even be on the field sometimes, is it worth the risk that comes with tweaking with that locker room chemistry, especially for a lot of these teams that are serious contenders that Odell Beckham says he wants to go to? Like, is it worth it? I, I, I think the answer is no. And also, I don't think Odell has the knowledge and wisdom that comes with being a great wide receiver. We've seen guys like Julio Jones, even Randy Moss in the past, sometimes you don't get the ball. Sometimes you draw so much coverage because you are good that you don't get the ball, but you open up other people for receiving. You open up the passing game for other people. And I think that kind of like, I don't know, that Odell can't handle not getting the ball like other good receivers should be able to. Yeah, like while we were on the subject of different teams that probably would benefit from him, I think it's not the team that benefits from Odell Beckham. It's the, like you were saying, Mac Jones will benefit. Bill Belichick does not go well with high ego people, as as we've heard in Son. Like he had, uh, who was it? Did we, we had Antonio Brown on the Patriots. He was released. He had other stuff going on, but he is a high ego person. And I don't think Bill Belichick likes people with a big ego because that's the type of coach he is. His mantra is do your job and then kind of talk some smack. I think that's why he meshed well with the people he did well with. Uh, Julian Edelman, Tom Brady, uh, Rob Gronkowski. Hmm. Rob Gronkowski is a, has a big personality, but not that big of an ego. I think they put it all on the field. Um, I think there are different coaches that can coach bigger egos um, right. But I, I guess what I'm saying is if there's 32 coaches in the National Football League and let's say right now 16 of them are playoff contenders, there has to be a few that can handle Odell Beckham Jr. Because like this guy isn't Antonio Brown. I mean, Antonio Brown has just about every off the field issue you could have besides murder. Yeah. Odell Beckham, sure, he's kicked a field goal net and he complains when he doesn't get that ball. But since being on the Browns, he hasn't gone out and publicly complained about anybody, right? He's He's been quiet besides a post from LeBron and a post from his dad. We don't even know if he was controlling that. This guy was handling everything behind closed doors. I think he, I think he would be a great addition for it. All right, all right. Two, two, points, two points with that, though. Two points with that. Are, are, we, are we considering all playoff teams to, to fit under that kind of contender definition like he said okay i want to go to a contender like is that 16 teams is that pool actually that big or is it you know five to eight that are legitimate playoff contenders and then in addition to that what was the second point you made um yeah he's he's handled things off or, or he's handled off the field issues or potential off the field issues privately but you know uh, not not in the public eye kicking the field goal net and and the issues that antonio brown has had but we don't know whether or not those those private off the field hypothetical off the field issues have actually been handled well or or if it's just been handled poorly but out of the public eye. Right, but but if he's not doing it in the public eye, I would I would almost argue it's less of a distraction, right? Like Antonio Brown getting in all this legal trouble, 
is such a distraction. And Bill Belichick still took a chance on him. And now look at the Buccaneers, right? We would say you have two all-pro receivers. You have Gronk. You have you know all these running backs. You have Tom Brady. Why would you risk bringing in a locker room cancer and an Antonio Brown when you know he's a declining player, right? That would be a very fair argument to make when he was a free agent. And that's the same argument you're you're fairly making about the Odell Beckham Jr. situation. But I'd say, a look how well Antonio Brown has done on the Bucks. They've won a Super Bowl because of him, and you know he's been what. They've won a Super Bowl because well, of anti. I gotta stop you right there because that 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 statement right there is is just ridiculous. They did not win a Super Bowl because of Antonio Brown. They won a Super Bowl because of Tom Brady. And speaking of Tom Brady, that is why Antonio Brown actually worked with the Buccaneers is because you have a, a such a unique winner and 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 mood setter and like sets the tone of the entire team in Tom Brady that you're able to pull that off. There's so few teams whether it's coach or player that can say they have somebody like that who can manage that type of personality. And it's an even smaller pool of teams that have that guy that are playoff contenders, probably one to zero, right? So Bill Belichick, or, or, sorry, not Bill Belichick. Um, Odell Beckham is, is trying to find a, the, the team fit and, and Odell Beckham's fit, like the, the two things that both of those entities are looking for. It's such a small pool of maybe one to two teams that, that he could end up fitting at. It would actually be a beneficial relationship. Let, let's look at Kansas City because I'm all in on Odell to New England. I think that that brings them from, you know, contenders to make the playoffs towards like maybe Super Bowl contenders, definitely AFC East contenders. But let's go to the Chiefs because the Chiefs just get a win here in the, the second slate of games. Not a great win, but they win nonetheless. Now they're five and four. Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey don't look like themselves. Patrick Mahomes doesn't look like himself. That offense, you know, altogether just doesn't look like itself. So if you're adding Odell Beckham Jr., that is a locker room with Andy Reid, about as well-respected a coach as any. Patrick Mahomes, the face of the NFL. And they've got criminals all over the place, and they're controlling them. You really don't think they could control Odell Beckham Jr. in Kansas City because on the field, let me tell you, Odell Beckham Jr. in Kansas City changes the landscape of the AFC. I got to disagree with you. I would think Kansas City Chiefs, it's never been anything besides Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. I mean, they have other receivers who have came in and out, Sammy Watkins. Now they have, I don't know, they have Nicole Hardman. These guys have never flourished on the Kansas City Chiefs the way that their offense goes. It's Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey are the guys getting thrown the ball, and that's about it. So I don't think Odell's going to make much of a difference. Maybe he gets some of that coverage off of Tyree Kale and kind of freeze up a little bit, but I don't think that he would kind of put them over there. Plus there's no way they have enough money to sign Odell Beckham. Yeah, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The this this is actually McCall Hardman and Sammy Watkins cannot yeah. be put in the same conversation as Odell Beckham Jr. I'm sorry, but I'm with Brendan here. I'm with Brendan. Couldn't here. even yeah. think of the names. You were like, uh, who, who's on the chiefs at receiver besides Tyree Kale? Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. does not bring that to the Chiefs. I think it's silly to even compare that. Is he going to, you know, distract people from Tyreek Hill? Of course, but Tyreek Hill is going to distract people from Odell. Odell has never been the number two receiver before. He would be number three in Kansas City with Kelsey and Hill. Odell would get all the looks. He'd be wide open. Patrick Mahomes isn't going to let Odell hide, and Odell would love playing in Kansas City. Yeah, yeah I, I think, I think Brendan, what you've done here is essentially found – 
one of the the two teams that I was talking about that could actually be a fit for Odell Beckham. Um, and, and it's Kansas City. I think you bring up a good point with with Andy Reid being able to to be that kind of controlling factor. And I think Patrick Mahomes might also be able to do that as well. He might. Uh, the, those two guys combined garner that same kind of respect that that Tom Brady's able to get, and and that's why Antonio Brown, like I said earlier, was able to have success in in Tampa Bay and kind of stay under control. But is Kansas City interested? In, Kansas City would certainly be interested in bringing him in. But there's, you know, like I said, me and Parker mentioned earlier, there's there's a litany of other issues that come with Odell Beckham. His injury issues, um, is he actually going to be on the field? And then how much of a difference on the field he actually makes? I think Parker also kind of brought up a good point, although his examples were terrible, of Andy Reid, or it's not Andy Reid, uh, Travis Kelsey and, and Tyree Killer are kind of the central focus of that team. And, and the one thing that Kansas City needs to do better at this point is not their passing attack. Um, because really, if, if Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill could actually catch the ball like they, they, they have in the past, I mean, they, they've been getting looks. They just can't catch it. The thing that Kansas City needs to do better at this point is establish a legitimate run game, which they don't have. Yeah, I think you just hit the nail on the head right there um, with what you just said. I think that Kansas City overall is a good team. Um, not having a good year, though. I think their defense could be 100% better with the people they have. Um, they need to either acquire somebody or just do some type of defensive training because their defense has been getting burned all year. Um, and, and, Parker, you said that you, you gave the example of Travis Kelsey um, and Tyree Kill, but you're not mentioning the guy throwing them the ball one of the best quarterbacks we are seeing in the league and probably will ever see for a long time. He is a generational franchise quarterback that you can't find someone like him that has the, the all around skill to from running to long, strong passing and just the ability to extend the play like he always does. How about the Raiders? Would the Raiders be a good fit for Odell Beckham? Obviously, they lost Henry Ruggs. I think the Raiders need something else in the passing game besides Darren Waller. They have a decent run game with Josh Jacobs. They have Derek Carr, who I still think can throw the ball pretty well. I think the Raiders would be a great fit for Odell Beckham. The Raiders had a tough loss, I think it was to the Giants today, right? But had they won that game, they'd be 6-2, and and we could very well be talking about, you know, are the Raiders one of the favorites in the AFC? Um, and then the, the Broncos as well. Today, they get a win after trading Von Miller, which we also have to talk about. But after trading Von Miller, the, the Broncos get a win, advance to five and four, and they get a huge win over the Cowboys, who many consider, you know, one of the top five teams in the NFL. So if I'm looking at this AFC East, obviously, we know the Chiefs have been struggling. The Broncos, we thought at first were good. Then we were convinced they weren't so good. Now, you know, I, I might be jumping back on the Broncos train of a potential wildcard spot. The Raiders are still in the hunt. Obviously, I think they're what five and three now. Um, and I'm I'm blanking. Oh, the Chargers. Of course, the Chargers are going to be a contender, and they got another win today as well. So this is a division that doesn't have a clear favorite, and I could see all four teams competing to make the playoffs down the stretch. I think the whole AFC is going to turn into a fun 
kind of end of the season thing. We see how the AFC East, I mean, the Bills are clear leaders right now, but the Patriots have been trending upward. The AFC West, the Raiders are iffy. I mean, the whole AFC North is just nobody knows what's going to happen because they all look bad, but they all look good at sometimes. I think the only – I think in the AFC West, I think the Chargers and I think the Raiders will be able to manage out of playoffs, but they look they look good. I don't know about the Chiefs, but I – think the Raiders will be able to pull and stay ahead of the Chiefs in the end. And how incredible is that, that you're saying you're not sure the Chiefs can make the playoffs, but the Raiders who have fired John Gruden, they lost their top receiver in, in Henry Ruggs. And you're saying, you know, they could probably have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Chiefs. Just a, an incredible job by Derek Carr, in my opinion, to keep this Raiders team afloat after all of these, you know, hurdles that they've been jumping over. And now they go get Deshaun Jackson to replace Henry Ruggs. This is a team that looks very good. I know they had a bad loss today, but this team's going to contend in the AFC, and I'd watch out. Uh, I want to talk about the AFC East as well because the Bills today, you know, coming in, obviously they were the clear favorites in the AFC East. Today they fall to the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, let's let's face it, they're one of the worst five teams in the NFL. So this is an atrocious loss for Buffalo, and the Patriots get a big win now they're five and four. They have momentum, three wins in a row. And I'm just saying, if they get Odell Beckham Jr., if I'm the Bills, I'm watching out for the Pats. Also, they got a win against the Chargers, who I believe are the best team in the AFC. And the Bills, the Bills looked so bad today against the Jaguars. Like it wasn't like how right. bad Josh Allen looked throwing the ball. Like it wasn't even comparable to the Josh Allen we've seen. But yeah, Buffalo is one of those teams. If you're looking at a one game, you know, playoff scenario, you don't want to play against them because when their offense is clicking, they could have the best defense in the league this year. That is a very scary team. But when they're not clicking, we've seen a few bad losses here from Buffalo, which is why I say, you know, New England's going to be consistent. Come playoff time, Bill Belichick's going to have them ready. Those tight ends are emerging. The running backs look good. I don't know. This Patriots team's going to be there. They're going to be consistent. If this Buffalo team can't find consistency, that AFC East is still up for grabs. Yeah. yeah. The, the one flaw on the Buffalo team is that their old line. Recently, I've been watching the Bills. Their old line has – Josh Allen has been constantly pressured, and he has to have time in the back to throw the ball. And I feel like that old line last year in the playoffs was solid. Right now, they're looking really depleted right now. And I, I got to say, that that's a, that's a big problem, the old line for the Bills. Yeah, I think the Patriots are their offense um, is good. I, I think that their their own line is not playing as well as it could. They have on paper they have a great O line. Uh, Mac Jones has looked good. He's looked he's met up to his or exceeded the potential that we thought he would be this year. Uh, he's looking like a like the best rookie quarterback that we have seen out of this class this year. And speaking of those young quarterbacks, we just watched the Packers absolutely collapse under Jordan Love. This is a storyline that I know isn't, you know, too big in the middle of a season where the Packers are going to be fine. You know, they're they're seven and two and Aaron Rodgers returning. But if we're looking into this offseason, this is going to be a top storyline again is Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. Sounds like he wanted this to be the last dance him and Devontae Adams. But if I'm a Green Bay fan or a Green Bay executive right now, I am in full panic mode for the future of the franchise. Jordan, Lo Jordan Love looked absolutely atrocious. Mac Jones looked better in week one. Jordan Love is, you know, a season and a half into his NFL career. 
he looked that bad. If I'm the Packers, I am worried because Aaron Rodgers is going to walk out of the door. Devontae Adams is going to walk out of the door. The Packers will be the worst franchise in the NFL. And those two guys are going to go, and you know Aaron Rodgers isn't going to go somewhere to lose. Aaron all right, all right. I, I just need to stop you right there. I feel like my sole purpose on this podcast is to just keep your wild opinions in check because you have some great points. And then you just say some of the dumbest stuff on this podcast that I've ever heard. So I, I just got to stop you right there and, and just refute this for a second. Sure, he's played a season and a half. He's, he's been in the NFL for a season and a half. Do you know how many snaps he has during that time? This was his first game the first game that he ever starts the first touchdown pass that he's ever thrown so sure he's been in the league behind Aaron Rodgers who is kind of an off-field character himself like if there's a veteran NFL quarterback that you want to study under I think at least in my opinion Aaron Rodgers is the last guy that I want to study under regardless of that this is his first game that he's played and he didn't he didn't play good right he yeah he played pretty terrible but it's his first start in the NFL it's like this is the first time he's seeing meaningful NFL action and sure, he played terrible, but like, give the kid a break. He has so much. He has great upside, right? He can zing the ball around. He's got a good arm. He just he has no experience. So he, you need a little bit of time before, at least in my opinion, you need some time before you say, "All right, as a, if I'm a Green Bay executive, I am panicking because he stinks. He's played one game. Have a little faith in the fact that this guy's inexperienced, and maybe he just needs some time to develop." Wait, maybe my purpose on this podcast is to refute, refute your terrible points. First of all, if there's any quarterback I would you know, want to learn under, Aaron Rodgers is last on the list. Are you kidding me? This guy is the second greatest quarterback in the NFL right now behind Tom Brady. Aaron Rodgers is a legend of the NFL. Aaron Rodgers is as good a quarterback to learn under as any. Maybe he's not nice, but... Heck, you're going to learn a lot about leadership watching Aaron Rodgers, and you're going to learn a lot about winning. So there's that. Also, you're talking about this guy hasn't played a snap. It was his first game. Agreed. I completely agree. I wasn't expecting Patrick Mahomes. But guess what we got? A guy who's throwing the ball to the wrong jerseys every other throw. A guy who put up seven points on the worst defense in the league in Kansas City. And listen, if you're the Packers, Jordan Love hasn't played a snap. Well, guess what? Heading into next season, the boy's only going to have played one game. So he better figure it out because it's the NFL. Sam Darnold will tell you. Josh Rosen will tell you. Nobody's waiting for you to just sit there and develop. You're not just going to get all these snaps to develop yourself. Look at Justin Fields and Trey Lance. They looked way better, and they have looked terrible. They've looked way better than Jordan Love. If on the Packers, it's a full-blown panic. All right, all right. Let me tell you something right now. The name Jordan Love will be remembered by all Packers fans as the one name that made the whole organization crumble. You remember two years ago when they drafted him in the first round? Without having a healthy prime Aaron Rodgers, you look dumb. Then you pissed off Aaron Rodgers. Man, you really look dumb. Then Aaron Rodgers yeah, came you in. pissed him off into an M- Wait, NFL card, card, let me finish. Card, card, let me finish. Then Aaron Rodgers came and had an MVP season. Now you really, really, really look dumb. And now Jordan Love gets his first time coming in, and he's awful. And now you really, 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 really look dumb. And now Jordan Love is going to be the reason. Well, it's not his fault, obviously, that he got drafted. But now that's going to be the reason that Aaron Rodgers is going to leave and this whole organization is going to go down. I mean, I feel y'all, bad for the guy. Y- but- you know, y'all look really, really, really dumb right now, too. Because this dude – okay. 
when and you're Devontae Adams, NFL, you can follow you Aaron Rodgers out the door. The team reps. You get all of, of the reps with the starting receivers. You, you're able to build that chemistry. You are the sole focus of the organization. That never happens when you're the backup quarterback. You get no attention. You play, I don't know, you, you play 1% of the first team snaps compared to the 99%, at least in practice, that the starting, the starting quarterback is playing with those first team guys. You build no chemistry with the starters. You build no chemistry with the offensive line. You have no experience dealing with the running back to the offensive line with all of the checks and motions, everything that goes into running an NFL offense. You never do that with the first team. And it, okay, so let's say Aaron Rodgers leaves this offseason. Jordan Love, for the first time in his career, has an entire, however many months the NFL offseason is, with the sole focus being on his development and his ability to succeed in the NFL. That has never been the case in his career. It will be the case this offseason. And at that point, we'll truly get to see whether or not this Jordan Love experiment has succeeded or has failed. And I'm, an, I'm 100% willing to admit that this could be a failure. All I'm saying is right now, it is way too early for you to look at Jordan Love, play one bad game, having one week to prepare to be an NFL starting quarterback against Patrick Mahomes and say, this is a terrible idea. He sucks get rid of them immediately and find his replacement. That is such a bad way to view it. There's, there's no reason that the Packers should panic right now other than the fact that they're losing Aaron Rodgers. They could potentially lose Aaron Rodgers. That is really the only thing I think they have to worry about. It's, there are a few years at least, maybe, maybe two seasons down the line, before they have to worry about you know, looking at another quarterback outside of Jordan Love, assuming but, that Aaron Rodgers leaves this offseason. But the reason, that, the reason that we're so critical of Jordan Love is because of what Parker talked about, okay? This pick, okay, first of all, you're in a Super Bowl window and you could have used a first-round pick to help Aaron Rodgers. Totally, at the receiver. totally. That was a, that, I agree. That was bad. We're not talking about the president. Then you, then you piss Rodgers off. Then you make angry one of the all-time greats at the most important position in football, the face of your franchise, and now he's going to leave. Totally. In, in doing that, you're going to push out the NFL's best receiver in Devontae Adams because he's not resigning to play with Jordan Love because he knows Jordan Love stinks, but that's another story. So now you've made angry and uh, pushed basically Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams out of the building. You've hurt your chances, and they didn't win a Super Bowl because they didn't use a first-round pick to help them in their Super Bowl window. So this guy who's pushing an all-time great and an all-time great receiver out the building, Jordan Love better be Patrick Mahomes. That's why we're so critical. I understand the expectations for him are unfair. He was unfairly placed in this situation, but he has to be a top five, top 10 quarterback very quickly because of what the Packers did to Aaron Rodgers, to Devontae Adams, to their Super Bowl window. Like this guy, I feel terrible for him. Sure. But everyone's going to be watching with a, a magnifying glass because as soon as this guy screws up, Green Bay is going to be revolting. Here's, here's where me and Brennan disagree. Brennan is coming out here saying that this is now Jordan Love needs to be Patrick Mahomes. Jordan Love needs this. I mean, Jordan Love already knows that he's not going to be it. Brian Gundekunz already knows that he messed up in drafting Jordan Love so high. I'm saying that this is going to go down as the worst draft pick in NFL history. And it's not Jordan Love's fault. It's the Packers organization. It's Brian Gundekunz's fault. I just, everything's going to go down. Yeah. You can't win with Jordan Love and Alan Lazard. Look, I, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I think that was a terrible looking back. It was a terrible pick. But at this point, right, given all of the issues that you're going to have this offseason, you can't worry. We're, I, we're just viewing the situation differently. I think it just inherently we're viewing the situation differently. You are viewing it from that pick 
to now through now into the future i'm looking at it and saying like at this moment given all of all of the 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 premises that we're starting with here and the fact that aaron Rodgers is leaving and uh and and we're gonna have to replace him with jordan love and Devonta adams is out i just don't think that it's time to panic on jordan love whereas you guys are like okay you know they they, they screwed up in all of these ways i totally agree with that like they they really messed up um at least you know through this point unless jordan love turns out to be you know some insane quarterback which i still think is possible i just think you need you can't you can look at the Packers and say, this was this is terrible and this is a complete failure. But I don't think you could look at Jordan Love and the Jordan Love experiment in isolation and say, this is a terrible idea. I, I think it's way too early to make any kind of judgment on Jordan Love. Good. He played college at Utah State. When he went out there today... You don't even know what college... He, oh, yeah, he did play Utah State, never mind. When he went out there today, he realized... Oh wow! This is I what it was North Dakota State. An actual defense that knows how to play football. This is what that looked like. Okay, Jordan okay, so 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 okay, so by that logic, that that no quarterback who comes out of a small school school should have any success. Uh, uh, Josh Allen, where did he go to school? It was an SEC school? No, it was Wyoming. Uh, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is really good for quite a few years. Where did he go to school? It must have been a Big 12 SEC. Uh, never mind. That was North Dakota State University. There are good quarterbacks who come out of nowhere. Right, nope. so making the argument that like ah, it's the first time he's seen defense. It's, it's the first time Josh Allen saw a defense a few years ago in the NFL because he played for Wyoming, which Alex, is way worse than Utah State. I think Alex, Alex, the point though. These guys don't come into the NFL and then miss receivers by ten yards in their first game. Yeah, he looked terrible. And what I what I'd echo that Parker said is this pick is going to go down as the one that tore apart this arguably you know I wouldn't say dynasty, but this legendary franchise that the Packers have been with Brett Favre and then through Aaron Rodgers, I think this is the pick that's going to tear it down. Basically, unless Jordan Love is a you know Hall of Fame quarterback, and I, I he looked terrible. So it's hard for me to say that this guy is going to be one of the greats to play the game, which is the only way that you would say this pick wasn't the worst draft pick ever made. Like that, that's my argument. Look, I, I, I'm not, I, I totally get that, uh, but I'm not arguing that he's going to be a great quarterback and I'm not arguing that he's going to be a bad quarterback. All I'm saying is I think it's way too early for us to say anything on, on his aptitude for success in the NFL. He's played one game. He looked terrible. It was his first time, you know, legitimately playing football in a year and a half because, you know, he's been on the bench behind Aaron Rodgers for that long, long a time and right he came out of Utah or came out of Utah State yep you know hasn't really seen true NFL defense again this is his first time kind of doing all of that it's for me it's just way too early to say anything whether or not he's going to be good or he's going to be bad all I can say is he's played one game he looked terrible I want to see him play you know a legitimate season with the focus being on him with with the focus of the coaching staff being on let's make sure that this guy has some success Let's play to his strengths instead of having one week to say, look, we need to alter our typical offense that we run under Aaron Rodgers to suit this guy. You know, how can we do that? You just don't have as much time to succeed with that hand that you've been dealt as opposed to having a full off season to sign the right guys, to build around Jordan Love, to get the pieces that he needs to succeed in. In addition to working in practice in his development, working on his chemistry with the first team guys and working to build a game plan and, and tweak your offense to to play to his strengths. I, I just think it's too early to say anything about that for those reasons. Are you uh, saying you shouldn't panic if you're the Packers? Because if I'm the Packers right now, 
I would be getting on my hands and knees, offering I, I'm not, sacrificial I, I am, offerings, begging him to stay for another year or two. Yeah, I, obviously, obviously, at least from my perspective, obviously you want Aaron Rodgers to stay because he's a top three quarterback all time. He's up there with Tom Brady. The odds that Aaron Rodgers or that Jordan Love is going to be that kind of guy are, are so slim, regardless of whether or not he's going to be a good or bad NFL quarterback. So obviously you want the best option available, which is Aaron Rodgers. What I'm saying is, is if is if Aaron Rodgers leaves and Devontae Adams leaves, I'm not panicking on Jordan Love's ability to succeed in the NFL because I haven't seen enough of it. What I am panicking on is everything else that's going on with the Packers, because that's a horrible situation. All I'm saying is, is Jordan Love's ability to succeed, I'm out on. I'm not, I'm not panicking, and I'm not you know, really excited to see him. I'm not excited for the future, and I'm not panicking on it because he looks terrible. All right, we're going to have to continue to monitor this. Obviously, Jordan Love is probably not going to step foot on the field again, barring something unexpected until next season at the earliest. So we'll stay, we'll stay watching that. Let's go watch some Sunday Night Football. That's going to do it for this week's NFL segment. A long one, but a good one. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be back. Welcome into the NBA segment of the EO Smith Sports Talk podcast. We're back after a one-week break. I'm joined by our NBA guys, Aaron and Leon, and we've got to talk about my Boston Celtics. We've got to talk about the Lakers, the Heat, the 76ers. They're hot, but the Clippers, they're not looking too good. We'll talk Pelicans. We're going to go all around the league, but we'll start with the Boston Celtics having a very crazy start to their season. Slow start at first, then they have this seemingly team meeting. Sounds like Marcus Smart kind of going off on on Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Then they get a win over the Magic, still don't look very good. Then they play arguably the hottest team in the NBA, the Miami Heat, and absolutely beat down on them, shut down on the league's top offense. Leon, is this Celtics team ready to rebound after a tough start or – is this just two outlier games in a season that's going to be ups and a lot of downs? Oh, I said from the beginning of the year, it's going to be a lot of down, a lot of down. And Marcus Smart speaking out, out to the media, uh, voicing his opinion at the big down now, and it's going to keep going down. The Celtics are four and five. They're 11 in the East right now. I don't see them. I, I said in the beginning of the season, I don't see them making the playoffs, probably the play in. And right now, I believe they're currently at what well, I predicted. I feel like it's going to be the same tra- trajectory during the season. Yeah, I, th- I think the Celtics' main problem is they just don't know how to play as a unit. As a unit, you know, their play styles are just clashing on the court, and this was evident in their loss against the Bulls. You know, having a big double-digit lead in the third quarter, but their fourth quarter performance was absolutely horrendous, and the Bulls are the ones who ended up blowing out the Celtics. And after that game, Marcus Smart saying, you know, they don't want to pass the ball when talking about uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So really, I think their biggest issue is just their chemistry, really, and just their play styles and, you know, just not them being able to mesh well on the court. Yeah, I I don't even know where to go about these Boston Celtics. Uh, I I kind of had a feeling where Leon was going to lean, but I'm, I'm liking to hear what Aaron has to say about this because quite honestly, this Celtics team, we've seen them make good runs to the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, in the bubble, and then a bunch of years back, right before they acquired Kyrie. But seemingly, Boston has just been cursed. Kyrie didn't work out. Kemba didn't work out. Gordon Hayward didn't work out. Uh, And this isn't a roster that coming into the year, you know, you don't have NBA Finals expectations for them. But certainly, you know, now not having a Kemba and a Kyrie and a Gordon Hayward, there's more pressure on Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum 
this season, I will be watching closely to see how they respond because if we're seeing all these fights, this has happened all too often between Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum in their tenure with the Celtics. If this continues, it's hard to see Boston moving with these three players into the future. You'd have to imagine Marcus Smart's the first guy to go, but quite honestly, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown together haven't haven't lived up to expectations as a unit. Of course, individually they have, but not as a unit. So we're going to have to wait and see on the Celtics. I want to stay in the East. We got to talk about the Bucks and the Hawks, two teams that made it to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, and both teams are struggling so far. I think the Bucks are four and four, and the Hawks maybe like four and five even. These are two teams that you'd expect to be at the very top of the Eastern Conference. Obviously, last year they were the two top teams, but they're struggling out of the gate. Leon, why do you think that is? I'm not worried about the Bucks. The Bucks they lost um, Drew Holiday due to COVID, I believe, and Chris Middleton due to COVID. So I'm not worried about the Bucks. They're doing some injuries right now in COVID. COVID. So the Bucks app will be just fine. But the Hawks, Trey Young hasn't been playing re- really well. Their supporting cap has been playing really well. Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, Capella, John Collins. I feel like with a lot of this, the new the foul change in the NBA this year, a lot of these players, a lot of these big time scoring players like Damian Lillard, Trey Young, these type of players, they're scoring less like James Harden too. But I believe uh, the main thing to worry about is Trey Young. He's not playing to the level that he is named after Ice Trey. He's not playing to to, to his level, and I believe uh, that's going to hurt the Hawks a lot. Yeah, I think the main problem with the Bucks this year is definitely their three point shooting. You know. This is partly due to their best shooters like Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Brooke Lopez being out of the lineup. And it just hasn't been pretty for the Bucs. You know, the Bucs are – Milwaukee has been shooting 33% from three. But, however, they did take a step in the right direction against Detroit on Tuesday, going 17 of 37 on their looks. Yeah, certainly to watch for the Bucs. I mean, you mentioned, Aaron, some good stats there. The three-point shooting has been in a bit of a slump this year. But this isn't a team that necessarily relies solely on the three-point shooting. That's where I'm a little bit worried. You know, you look at Giannis, you look at uh, Drew Holiday. These aren't big-time three-point shooters, and, and you talk about guys who are out of the lineup. Of course, getting them back would, would help. But this Bucks team, I certainly would expect, especially in the regular season, them to be just dominating night in and night out, you know, whenever Giannis is on the court. So I'm a little bit worried about the Bucks, but obviously we're not panicking. It's still early. And they haven't looked that bad, if we're being honest. The Hawks, I mean, Leon talked about the foul, you know, the new foul rule changes. That definitely will affect Trey Young. I mean, we saw in the playoffs last year, this guy flops about as much as anyone in the league outside of probably only James Harden. Um, So I think adjusting to the rules and then guys like John Collins stepping up, uh, Bogdanovich, Herder, all those guys. I think this Hawks team is just fine. I want to talk about Charlotte. Leon was very hot on Charlotte coming into the year. They've looked interesting. They've looked fun so far this year. I mean, this is a this is a showtime team, in my opinion. Lamella Ball and Gordon Hayward. Miles Bridges, arguably uh, the most improved player through the first eight or nine games so far. But this, Har- this uh, <clears throat> Charlotte Hornets team is not getting the wins they want. I think they're sitting at 500 right now uh, on the edge of the playoff. So, Aaron, what do you think the uh, Hornets need to do to become contenders in the East? They really just need to turn it around. But as you said, like, I do like Miles Bridges so far, averaging 24 points per game, which I do think that will lead to him uh, having a breakthrough season. But I don't think just like him playing good will be enough for the Hornets to turn around. Well, hopefully they can, though. 
It's still a long season. Yeah, I like what Aaron says. A long season. They had two bad losses, one against the uh, Warriors and the Cavs, especially the Cavs one. But they start they start off hot, starting three and beating the Nets. I believe as the season plays out, they're gonna be fine. They're gonna be like right in that contending like the milk part of this East Eastern Conference. I believe. And uh, if Lamelo Ball keeps playing like he is right now, I think they're gonna be just fine in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a fun team to watch in Charlotte. Terry Rozier even. Uh, Lamella Ball, about as fun a passer in the league to watch. Uh, Miles Bridges, just I've been so surprised. You know, he he obviously accepted that contract coming into the year. I, I've been really surprised with how well he's played this year. I did not expect that from him. I think if he can keep it up, uh, you know, this Hornets team will be a scary a scary uh, opponent in the playoffs for one of the top teams and a tough out. Uh, you know, in the playoffs. Let's go to the Heat because. I talked about them so far. They've been phenomenal in the regular season. Usually when you have a team with all these new pieces like Kyle Lowry, they're trying to gel together. They, they start off slowly, but not this heat team. They've been, I think like the best offense in the league. And then the second best defense in the league in terms of efficiency, this team outside of that game against my Celtics has looked phenomenal to start the season. Leon, do you think right now they are the favorites in the East with the Nets struggling? Uh, the bucks, obviously we talked about their struggling. Uh, really, right now it's like between them and Philadelphia, right? Yeah, I don't see them. I don't see them being a contender. I believe it's still the Nets and the Bucks. This, this Heat team is interesting. We saw in the bubble when the Heat were were playing really well. It was Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero was going off every single night, and right now Tyler Hero is playing out of his mind. He is looking to be the most improved player, or six man player of the year this this year. I believe Tyler Hero is the X factor on this Heat team. I think, and he's playing great right now. That's why I believe the record shows that right now. But I, uh, I believe that this Heat team, they can uh, make it far into the playoffs, but I don't see them as contending. I still believe it's the Nets and Bucks. Yeah, Kyle Lowry so far, he's, he's looked to be a good pickup for the – definitely a good pickup for the Heat. And just Jimmy Butler's two-way dominance has him looking like an early MVP candidate so far. Yeah, Jimmy Butler. I mean, this guy has looked phenomenal f- through the first eight or nine games. He's been an MVP candidate, as you mentioned, and that surprised me because, you know, after that run in the bubble that they had last year, he had a bit of a down year. Tyler Hero, another guy for the Heat that stepped up after a down year last year. This Heat team has looked really good. I'm going to say right now they are my favorites in the Eastern Conference because we've seen this Nets team without Kyrie and with James Harden struggling to adapt to the new rule changes. The Nets have not looked very good. The Bucks four and four. I mean, they can't be the favorites right now, in my opinion. I'll go with the Miami Heat as the favorites in the East. And because I touched on the 76ers, why don't we just talk about them really quickly? No Ben Simmons, no problem. Joel Embiid has been dealing with some injuries. Tobias Harris in COVID protocols, but this Philly team is seven and two. Aaron, are they a legit contender in the East without Ben Simmons? Yeah, as you said, uh, they're seven and two right now. So I do think they'll have a good chance. But, you know, just coaches and players have been uh, they've continued to show support for Ben Simmons. But it seems like Ben Simmons is still looking for a trade. So I think they'll do all right without him, to be honest. Uh, I believe they got to figure out the Ben Simmons situation. Right now they're looking good because they haven't played. Well, they have played great, great team, but they, they, I believe at, at the end of the year, you're going to face against the Nets, the Bucks. You need that defense, and Ben Simmons can bring that defense. I, I feel like they got to figure out the Ben Simmons situation. 
But right now, uh, Seth Curry looking really good. He's like he's like averaging a lot of points, I believe, and he he's like he's like one of the players that is the reason why the 76ers are in the position they are right now. Seth Curry. Yeah, Seth Curry, that's a great call out. Uh, I'd say Tyrese Maxey as well. He's impressed me so far uh, early in the regular season. But if I'm if I'm going to call the 76ers contenders, I need to see a second star in Philly. And I don't think Ben Simmons can be that anymore. I mean, we've seen he's he's all but out those doors. Tobias Harris is a you know a good number three, I'll say, but he's not the number two. They need to trade Ben Simmons. I'm not sure if it's for D'Angelo Russell or you know CJ McCollum. Obviously, we've run through the potential trade candidates, but Philly needs to pull the trigger, in my opinion, especially because this team is playing so well without Ben Simmons. You're not getting anything from him except all those all that money that they're finding him for. Uh, when he's not in the building. So trade him for whatever you can get, get a player in there. And I'll say this 76ers team will be a contender in the Eastern conference with that. We'll flip over to the West and let's talk about Leon's Lakers. Are the Los Angeles Lakers? Okay. Russell Westbrook looks terrible. The thunder who haven't won a game all year. They're zero and six, except for when they play the LA Lakers, they are two and oh, two huge comeback wins. Now LeBron is out with an abdominal injury, I believe. Josh Giddy, Shea Gilgis, Alexander own the Lakers. Russell Westbrook shooting in the clutch is a terrible idea every single time. Leon, what are your thoughts on your Lakers? They have no defense. Their championship year, they play stellar defense. Uh, the two games against the Thunder, they, they blew 15-point leads, and they need to get the defense right. Anthony Davis right now is made of class. He gets he gets an injury scare every other game, and it's it's bad. Russell Westbrook can't shoot, and but also LeBron is looking like old LeBron. He's getting injured, out missing games. The Lakers gotta figure it out. I believe still it's still early right now, and this port this first half of the season should 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 have been easy for the Lakers. It should it should have been easy riding, but it, it's not looking good. Uh, they're they're not look they're not standing. A lot in the stand. They're not looking good in standings. I believe the Lakers got to figure it out quickly because the later the later half of the season after the NFL season ends, we all know that's when the prime prime time games are. That's when the big matchups are, and that's when the tougher matchups are. And the Lakers got to figure it out before that point because uh, coming to that point, it's going to be uh, bad if they can't figure it out. Yeah, nine games into the season, there are a lot of reasons to question whether Westbrook will fit into the roster. He is shooting uh, just 57% at the rim and 26% from three-point, which is not good. So, but the main problem is they the Lakers just can't keep relying on LeBron because, like you said, Leon, he is pushing 40, so he is getting up there in age. So, I don't know. The Lakers definitely got to do something. Wow. Panic time in L.A. Leon, for the first time in his EO Smith pod, Sports Talk podcast career, is calling out his Los Angeles Lakers. He said Anthony Davis is made of glass. LeBron's looking like an old LeBron. Russell Westbrook stinks. I mean, wow. Honestly, you're more harsh than me on the Lakers right now. I think it's not time to panic because, listen, you have LeBron James. You have one of the two greatest players of all time sitting there he didn't play against the thunder so i'm not even going to count that result is it going to go on the record sure but who is worried about what the lakers do when lebron james is not on the court when you're talking about russell westbrook of course i am worried about that but 
at this point in time, I am thinking the Lakers need to put Westbrook on the bench. This guy will be six man of the year. He'll pat, he'll pat his stats with all those scrubs in. And then in the crunch time, get that boy off the court, clear out the way. I want to see hoodie mellow. I want to see Braun. I want to see AD. I mean, I can't believe you're, you're going all in on the Lakers this year. You are panicking more than me right now. I can't believe it. Leon says panic time for in the, in LA for the Lakers. Let's talk about the other team in LA, the Clippers, because I am panicking on the Clippers Clippers on the outside looking in. Obviously they don't have Kawhi Leonard this season. Uh, I'll be surprised if he can make it back, you know, for around playoff time. But anyway, this Clippers team without Kawhi has looked pretty terrible. Leon, if you're the Clippers right now, you're, you're in this awkward stage with two aging superstars. Um, obviously, your, your payroll is super high, and you're just not that good with Kawhi injured. If you're the Clippers, are you making a move, or is this just a, a, a throwaway year waiting for Kawhi Leonard to be back? I think it'd be a throwaway year because you signed Kawhi Leonard to a pretty large deal over, over the summer, so you 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 you're buying in for the playoffs. You you have to comp- keep contending. I feel like this year with Kawhi uh, being injured, that's really unlucky. That's a it's a throwaway year right now. The Clippers are a one man show with Paul George. Paul George is averaging insane numbers, but I feel, I believe this year they gotta just get healthy and just get the chemistry right. They have some young players. Like that he drafted, which I believe are pretty good draft picks. They just got to get, uh, get the chemistry right and contend next year. Yeah, the Lakers definitely have to turn around this season if they want a shot at the playoffs. But Paul George has been looking good so far with back-to-back 30-point game. So with Kawhi not in the starting lineup, the Clippers are definitely going to need to have a big turnaround. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree. I think this this is a throwaway year for the Clippers. I mean – I don't think you can go into a rebuild when you have Kawhi and Paul George under contract. Terrence, man, this is a guy I have high expectations for in the coming years to become an NBA superstar. But right now, the Clippers just don't look too good. In my opinion, it might be best for them to rest Paul George in in almost tank this year, see if they can get draft capital to either trade or use, because this Clippers team won't be contending this year, and they will not contend if Kawhi is not on their team. Uh, And speaking of not contending, speaking of not being on the court, we got to talk about Zion. Zion looks 150 pounds overweight. This guy looks terrible. He's injured yet again. It doesn't seem like he's ever going to be back on the court. And the Pelicans are atrocious. They are the worst team in the NBA when he is not on the court. So, Leon, are we panicking about Zion? Are we panicking about New Orleans' chances to keep Zion? Are we panicking about this injury that he has? Where do we stand on the Zion Williamson situation? Yeah, I'm panicking on the Pelicans. I'm panicking on Zion's career. He came he came to NBA being a first-round draft pick. He missed the first half of his first, his first year. Now coming into the season, you, you probably expect him to get right, get healthy. And uh, it's, it's his third season in the NBA now. And he still hasn't been able to figure out this weight weight gain gainage issue that he has. And right now, He's been he's just unhealthy. He's not on the court, and when you're on when you're not on the court, you can't help your team. I'm panicking on the Pelicans and Zion's career right now. Yeah, I'm just gonna keep this short. Overall, Zion just has to get in better shape, and if he doesn't, he's just gonna be dealing with injuries throughout his young career. Yeah, look, I'm uh, I'm gonna go uh, full panic on this one. 
Zion's injury situation and this weight gaining situation. I mean, have we ever seen LeBron looking obese on the on the sidelines? Have we ever seen uh, Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant? I mean, these are the guys that we compared Zion Williamson to. Even if we go down a notch, have we ever seen Steph Curry, James Harden, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo? You know, whatever superstar you want to name, we've never seen them sitting on the sidelines injured looking obese, saying, wow, not only do they have to heal their injury, they're going to have to lose a ton of weight to step onto the NBA court. If Zion Williamson can't keep his weight at an appropriate level, this guy will be out of the NBA in the next three years. When he's on the court, he's been phenomenal, but he'll never be healthy at the weight he's at. This guy, I mean, if I'm the Rams right now, the Rams seem to be going all in. I'm giving a call to Zion Williamson. Hey, we need a defensive tackle next to Aaron Donald. This guy is 350 pounds. It's ridiculous. If he can't lose weight, this guy does not deserve to be in the NBA. Aaron, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. Zion just, he has to get his weight under control or he's just, it's not going to look good for him. He just has to get his weight under control. He's got to start eating better and he just has to manage his weight easily. I mean, you have access to millions and millions of dollars of treatment on the body, whether it's, you know, nutrition or physical therapy, workout machines. He's in the National Basketball Association and he can't keep his weight under control. It's just a disgrace what's happening in New Orleans. Uh, I think he'll be out of there in the next year or two because they're going to stink. He's not going to be on the court. He's going to be frustrated. They're going to be frustrated. My question is, where is Zion going to go? Like the Knicks, I'm sure the Knicks will want him because the Knicks basically just want any superstar they can get. But realistically, I'm not sure there's there's any options for Zion to go to right now unless he can lose some weight. So I'll be monitoring that. I'm watching to see how Leon's Lakers, who Leon panicked on for the first time ever, how can they rebound from two terrible losses to the Oklahoma City Thunder? And how can my Celtics look to continue this hot stretch with Jalen Brown now injured? That'll do it for this week's episode of the NBA Sports Talk Pod, our EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast NBA segment. Thank you for joining us, and we will be back. Welcome back to the soccer segment of the EO Smith Sports Talk Podcast. And boy, it's been a while since we have recorded. And in that, it was probably the worst possible time to not record because there has been so much information and so much news that has come out of the soccer world. We're going to dive into it right away. I think the biggest one that we need to headline with, Xavi has been hired as the Barcelona manager after the firing of Ronald Koeman. I almost missed his name there. Uh, Xavi's coming from Saudi Arabia, Al-Sad, which was, was that his first managerial job? I think it yes. was. So yeah. he's, his second, imagine that, your second job as, as a manager in football is coaching one of the biggest clubs in the world. Obviously, this hire it's it's I think it's about as good as they were going to get but I obviously have some questions about it and I want to hear what you guys' thoughts are on it okay I'm going first um so I would like to start with you may have missed almost missed Ronald Koeman's name but Barcelona fans will not be missing Ronald Koeman um so I think Xavi is simply to put the future of Barcelona um, I'm not, I, Alex mentioned this before and I, in a way agree. I don't think he will, um, immediately you will see a huge turn of events because of the way Xavi thinks and the high level of IQ he has with this game doesn't, 
it, it takes a while to implement on these players, but we will see a change. Um, and we will, we will see Barcelona back to their old ways. And I, I hold me to that, please. Um, I think Xavi has the respect from the players. He has the mind. He has, I would even say the players, like Javi, like the, the Gavi guy, Pedri, Antifati, like Memphis Depay. Like these are some quality players that he will be able to work with and will be able to change just because of his prestigious. And a lot of these guys have gone through La Masia, just no manager will be able to apply it. And I talked with this, uh, I talked about this with my dad too, and he may not have the defending down. I think he has the attacking down. Um, maybe not the finishing, but like he was for the defending, he just needs to know how to incorporate the defenders and how it was the Barca mentality that made that team so, so, so incredible. It's not how they play. It's the mentality. And Xavi will drill that into their skull if he has to, because that is the only way Xavi thinks, and that is the only way Xavi plays. Yeah, I think this could be a really, uh, it could be a huge home run hire for Barcelona, or it could be a huge mistake. And I really don't think there's much in between. I, I had some questions, and we were talking about this earlier too, as to whether or not this is like the right time to hire Xavi. Because I, I, there's, we've talked about this with Oligana Solskjaer too, and we're going to get to his managerial situation in a little bit because I have a ton of complaints about that. But there's sometimes there's a difference in the guy that that when you're a rebuilding team, like Manchester United was a few years ago, like Barcelona is now, there's a difference in the guy that can can build you up to being, uh, you know, towards that upper echelon of football again, and and the guy that just kind of takes you over the edge. So I don't know which one Xavi is, just because he he's only had one job and it, it's in Saudi Arabia. So is he? the guy that can that can take him from being a really good team to being to the upper echelon of football and and you know maybe because that's more his that's where his managerial skill set lies in in coaching up and managing some of the best players in the world you know does he not get the chance to display that skill because it takes too long for him to figure out how to get a team from being bad to good or is he like a bad to good guy and then you know, it, it gets to the time where they need to get over that edge and they just can't quite get there, but they refuse to let on or let him go because he's a club legend. So, you know, Barcelona is just kind of in a tough spot and they're going to be in a tough spot for any manager. Um, but I, I think it's kind of like a boomer bust type thing. And, and, and there's plenty of positives with Xavi. I mean, you touched on it, the, the attacking style of football, he definitely brings a, a kind of a what he, he brings back a play style that Barcelona is is known for and Tiki Taka consistent um, short passes and and you know creating opportunities uh, and that that team mentality he's going to implement that really well but you know like I said he's also an inexperienced manager and this is going to be his first time not only dealing with you know with such a large club but but with dealing with bringing in the right guys and and the financial side of it so it's going to be an adjustment period and, and managers in modern football are just given such short leases. And, and obviously he's going to get a longer, more time to kind of implement his plan. But I wonder if it's long enough for him to, 
learn the lessons that he's going to need to learn as a manager and, and, and get through the humps and eventually reach the top. So it's kind of a difficult time. And I, I'm questioning right now, whether or not it's the right time to hire Chappie. I think what you're going to get with him is you're going to get kind of the, the honeymoon that Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer had, right? We're going to go, you know, 12, I don't know if it's going to be this, you know, instant because of the, the player quality and the, the gap in player quality of Barcelona, but you're going to have that. Okay. You're going to start picking up wins this first game, right? Maybe a winner, maybe a, a good draw, hard fought draw, right? You're going to start picking up those wins steadily. And I think that's going to boost not only the morale of the team, but the, the, the morale of the ownership, right? Of, of Joan Laporta, the, the president, where he's going to say, listen, I made the right choice. I, I made that right call. And, and I think that he's, uh, obviously he's better than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is. And that's, that's not a question. I think he'll do better because he has a higher football IQ. He is a natural genius when it comes to the game, right? He was coached under the best manager in the world right now, Pep Guardiola. He played with the other best midfielder in the world, Andres per- uh, Pereira, Andres Iniesta. Um, he played with the greatest player in history, in Lionel Messi, I mean, he dominated the midfield of Spain for 10 years. I mean, he's, he's I think on the list of the all-time greats, he's got to be in the top 10, right? And that's of all positions. Yeah. I think in the midfielders, he's top two. It's him and, and, and Iniesta, I think, are the top two midfielders in history. Well, and, uh, yeah, that's, I'm just going to, you know, butt in real quick because we can talk about his resume as, as much as he wants. And he's an, he's an incredible player, but there's a difference between managing personalities and, and managing, you know, the, the tactic stuff. And then, you know, just going out there and implementing a manager's plan. He's so great. He's got such great IQ. Um, can he properly do that at such a big club? And, and in addition to that, I think you brought up a really good point in that kind of honeymoon phase that you're going to get, you know, can he, he take that infusion of energy that you get, no matter which manager you bring in, whenever you bring in a new manager, there's going to be an infusion of energy into the club just because it's a new face. It's a new message to the players. They're going to have, they're, they're probably going to have some pretty good success at the start just because of that kind of honeymoon phase that you're going to get. But can he sustain long-term success? Like, can he continue to build off of that initial success that he's likely to have? It's, it's tough to say for me. I would, okay. first off, I would like to say, um, Austin, uh, he is the top two box to box midfielders of all time. Uh, but I would put Zidane over him. Um, no, Zidane, well as... Zidane is exceptionally <laughs> overrated in the midfield. Oh my God. Yo, 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 okay. Zidane is exceptionally we cannot, overrated. We cannot do another Pep Guardiola versus, versus <laughs> yeah, I don't, whoever. Alex, Alex yeah. Ferguson again is going to yeah. be another Pep Guardiola. Well, <laughs> no, 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 no. Are you this. kidding me? How is Zidane overrated? You must never. No, no, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. We're not. I'm not going to have. That's not. This is about Chavis. Exactly. Okay. Okay. So. Alex, I would, I think, when, when, okay, I have, this is the, my dad had the same opinion as you, and this is what I said to him. Think about when Johan Cruyff came to Barcelona. Um, very, very little coaching experience. He hadn't had, he, uh, he hadn't even had that much coaching success, whereas Xavi has, anyway, with, with the team he previously had. With the team in Saudi Arabia. Johan Cruyff. Yes, but Johan Cruyff had Ajax. Ajax was dominant in the nether in the 
in the Danish league and they didn't even win. Or not the Danish league, the Dutch league. So they didn't even win the league. Here's where I, I disagree with you. The, the thing that Johan Cruyff did was he saw a problem and he knew exactly how to face it. He knew without any hesitation without any doubt, he created the three back or the three back setup and the four three three setup. That is a level of innovation that or a level of soccer IQ that very few have been able to replicate ever. That's Xavi is one of them. The reason I don't know if you guys knew this, but Pep Guardiola was a fantastic player in his day. He had very little physical ability. He was not physical enough to be in the top level. He played as a defensive midfielder. But what made him so unbelievably great is how he saw the game. And Xavi sees it the exact same way with knowing everything, knowing how to fix this. I think Xavi will be able to maybe not he'll, – he'll put the Barca system in play, and then when there's a problem, Xavi will know how to fix it without Look. any doubt in my mind. Yeah, that, that's all well and good. We can talk about how great Johan Cruyff was and how great Pep Guardiola is. They're not Xavi. Like, there's, there's two distinct circumstances here. So just to respond to that, like, sure, Xavi is an incredibly intelligent player, and, and so are the other two guys. Just because the other two guys were intelligent players who became uber-intelligent managers and, and incredible problem solvers at the managerial position doesn't mean that Xavi's going to be able to do that same thing. So he's, he's done it in a league that nobody cares about in Saudi Arabia. He's never done it anywhere else. He's never done it as a player. He wasn't, a, you know, he's, he's not managing people and he's not managing tactical and strategic situations as a player. This will be the first true test for Xavi's ability to respond to managerial adversity and, and make strategic and tactical decisions that have serious outcomes as opposed to anything he's ever seen before. That's not only a challenge within itself, but also the pressure that comes with that. So that's true. You can have really intelligent players be really effective managers. Is Chavi one of them? Like my, my, my concerns about him still remain. Well, I think, I think the point you made about, you know, man management and that whole deal, and that, that is a tough thing for managers. I think in the modern day, dealing with the egos of all these, you know, superstars, it's the toughest thing for managers to deal with. Though it wasn't for a long time, Xavi was the captain of Barcelona. I mean, he captained one of the best teams in the world at the time, uh, the 14-15 Barcelona season. I mean, he lifted the La Liga trophy in that season. He was, he was able... the best player of all time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he was the leader of the best player of all time. So just... And, and even when he wasn't captain, right, him and Carlos Poyol from Look, 2004 to 2014, they led that dressing room. They, he, I think he understands how to deal with the big egos. I don't think that's yeah, a problem. I, I, if I said that I had questions about his ability to man-manage, I'd take that back. Because I, I, Really, when you think about it, I, I, there's so much respect that comes with being a Barcelona legend and going to coach Barcelona. And you get to coach Ansu Fati and Pedri and Riqui Puig, uh, Serginho Dest, like you have such a plethora of young players that grew up watching you and now you get to go coach them. There's going to be zero absence of respect for Xavi. And, and because of that, he's going to be able to man manage regardless of whether or not he's a good man manager. I don't care if he was the worst captain Barcelona's ever had in their history, which he wasn't. He was a really good captain. But even if he was, it doesn't matter because he's got so much respect. Again, 
my questions with Xavi lie with his ability to respond to the tactical adversity and the financial side of being a manager. He's never done that before. He's never faced that kind of challenge. He's never faced that kind of tactical or financial challenge. How does he deal with that? How does he overcome adversity? How does he sustain success? How do you sustain a mentality after that, that initial kind of honeymoon with your players rubs off? That's the challenge that so many, uh, so many coaches, so many players, or not man, players, so many coaches, so many managers face in, in every sport because, you know, eventually your, your, you know, initial run of success and that initial infusion of energy kind of dies down. It's like, how do you sustain a message? This happens in sports all the time. It happened, this is, this is a college football reference, but it happened with Clemson and they're winning titles over and over and over again. But that kind of initial, infusion of energy that they got with bringing in a new coach went away and, and now they can't win a game this season. So, you know, how, how do you sustain success in the long term? These are, these are things that he's all going to have to deal with. And, and they're things that we don't know the answer to, as opposed to, you know, we could know an answer to that if they hired a more experienced manager. It's a high risk, high reward hire, in my opinion. I, I disagree. Sorry, Austin, did you talk before Alex? I don't remember. Uh, just briefly, yeah, but I, right, I just really, ahead, I just wanted to touch really quickly on at least the financial aspect. I think the smartest thing for him to do is going to be to sit down with Jean Laporta, right? Sit down and say, listen, I want as little to do with the finances as possible. That's not my job, right? I'm not coming out here with a finance degree. I know the tactics. I understand how to play the game. That is what you hired me for. You didn't hire me to be an accountant. That is what he needs to do. And come out and say, listen, I understand you're a billion pound or a billion euros in the hole. Right. And it's only getting worse the more and more you spend without money in the bank. But that's not why I'm here. You've thrust that burden onto Ronald Koeman and it ended up with him crashing and burning. If you want me to be here, if you want me to be successful, you need to find someone that does this instead of me. And then if he's able to do that, that could take that financial pressure that is so overbearing at Barcelona, take that off of his shoulders and he can focus on doing what he does best and being a tactical genius. And as soon as he gets that, you're solid. I love that. I love if he were to do that. I love if he, if he were to go and do that, but does he have the stone? This is part of, this is what I keep saying. Like there's so many things that we don't know about him. We don't know if he has the stones to walk into, you know, the, the financial side of the club and, and that, you know, wherever, whoever handles the, you know, the buying and selling of players and the finances and all that, does he have the stones to walk in there to a bunch of people and look them in the eye and say, this is not what you hired me to do. Can, can he do that? I, I don't know. Right. And it's, it's, like I said, again, this is another thing uh, in a long list of stuff that at least I've come up with over the course of this little, you know, 10 minutes or whatever it's been that he's going to have to find a way to overcome. He's going to, he, I hope he has a really good head on his shoulder head on his shoulders at least when it for from a managerial perspective because there are so many moving pieces that come with with the Barcelona with the Barcelona job right you have a huge fan base you have so much money that close, goes into this club you have one of the most prestigious clubs in the entire world and then you have to manage some of the best players in the entire world and put together the right tactics and the right strategy and the right plan week in and week out and you have to deal with all of the pressure that comes with this job. It is, it is such a difficult job to have. It is up there with the most difficult jobs in the sport, just like it is at Real Madrid, just like it is at, at Manchester United, right? This is, this is a top three job in all of European football. 
to be thrust in like that with very little managerial experience is such a hard thing to do. I'm not saying he's going to be a bad manager. I'm not saying he's going to fail. I'm simply voicing my, my skepticism and, about his ability to just kind of come in and, and be amazing all the time for an extended period of time. Because that, that is so difficult to do. It is so difficult to succeed at Barcelona as a manager. You have to have a really strong mentality and a strong character. You have to be really decisive in your decision-making. There's so many intangibles that you have to have. I, I just don't know if he has those. It, it's kind of a wait-and-see thing for me. Okay, let me say, um, Alex, you're dumb. Anyway, so... I think what Xavi will Thanks, do, <laughs> what Xavi will do, um, and I think will be the move, which is kind of what Austin was, what, it's similar to what Austin was saying, which is more of a, I know we're in debt. I'm not going to sell who I don't want to sell. Um, I think he's going to do what Pep Guardiola did. Um, Guardiola did not bring in very many players. He brought in two or three, and I don't think Xavi will even bring in any, but I think he will get rid of that dead weight any way he possibly can. Just like how when Guardiola came in, he set a statement by selling. He sold Dino, Deco. Uh, he wanted to sell Eto. He sold Henri after a year. Like, he made some – these are some of the greatest players of all time, and he made those decisions. He called it how it needed to be called. And I think Xavi will do a similar similar job. Um, so. Uh, and I think your your lack your doubt in his managerial ability completely unwarranted. I think that's out of nowhere because Xavi is is it uh, is, is it wrong? I think he is the smartest player of all time, no question. Yeah, and he wait, has wait, the respect. Whatever yeah, he yeah, says, no, 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 whatever he says, the players will do. Many of them have grown up in this Barcelona system, so he will implement tiki taka into their heads and they will do it because if you don't do what Javi says you're out he will have that attitude he's not an exceptionally nice guy that way you've you've heard people talk about it he is a kind man but when it comes to soccer there have been times where he is like there was uh, a, an interview from uh, Neymar in the 2015 season he said like he came off he wasn't playing well he was making bad decisions he's keeping the ball too much Javi pulled him aside and put him in his place. Xavi will do that again and again and again with these players. He will know how to manage this team because these players will listen to him, just like Neymar listened to him. Neymar that game later had a goal and an assist because he he learned he listened to Xavi. These are like Xavi knows how to play this game and he knows how to pe- put people in their position. He knows what he needs to do and he will be able to do it. He has the players and the, the fans. Everyone is behind Xavi. No one is praying on Xavi's downfall right now. If he was able to handle the pressure as a player, as the captain of the greatest team in the world, being captain over the greatest player of all time, he will be able to coach that same team without the – because Barcelona right now does not have that master, massive superstar ego. Like, yeah, he doesn't have to worry about that. He has to worry about building a team, and he has the players he can build a team around. 
look, no, but no non Barcelona fan is, is going to root as hard for Xavi as, as I will. And I'm, as I'm sure the three of us will, I'm really rooting for him to succeed. I'm not a huge Barcelona guy, but it would be awesome to, you know, see a, a great manager at Barcelona again, because it feels like it's been so long since they've had one. I'm really rooting for him to succeed. I just think it's, I'm not saying it's a bad hire by any means. This could turn out to be one of the best hires in recent memory for, for any team, for any coach. Like, I really think it has that much upside. But what I'm saying is I don't want to judge this hire before he's even coached a game, especially for a guy who has one coaching job in his entire career, and it was at a, a nowhere place in who knows where Saudi Arabia. So I'm trying to be patient until I, I make like a yes, this is the great hire or no, this is a bad hire because I simply don't know. There's, there's too many unanswered questions for me with Xavi. I think he has extremely high upside and I'm really rooting for him to succeed, but there's too many unanswered questions for me to say, yes, this is a home run grand slam hire. It's just too early in that press. I want to see him play some games. I want to see him get through a few seasons. I think the time everybody loves to grade managerial hires and coaching hires within the first day that he's hired to a program. That is the worst possible time to judge a hire. The best time is roughly two to four seasons in when he's had some experience, when guys have, have had the chance to buy and sell players and really start implementing their system and ingraining it within the DNA of a club. That's when you can say, yes, this guy was a home run hire or no, this guy was kind of a mistake. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. But we need to move on because we've been focusing a little bit too much on this. Let's talk on another managerial hire. Not hire, I guess, but is, is he going to get fired? Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, yeah. Duh, that's who we're talking about. And, and this is something that, while we were not recording, I was so infuriated. I don't think I've been angrier at a front office for, for a club in as long a time as, as I was pissed off with Manchester United's front office. It's just some of the most incompetent front office play, front office decision-making I've ever seen in the history of ever. You've had this coach for how many years, and you have absolutely zero idea as to whether or not he's the guy, so much so that a game against Liverpool or a game against Manchester City or whatever it is, one game and whether or not he wins or loses that game somehow has any bearing on his ability to lead the program into the next few seasons. It, it boggles my mind how they don't know whether or not they want him anymore. Like, is he the guy or is he not the guy? These next few games or, or weeks or months or whatever, maybe the next few months, but the next few games shouldn't have any bearing on whether or not he is the coach. He's the coach and you know he's the coach because he's had success or he's not the coach because he hasn't been having as much success as you want. Pick one or the other. I don't know how you don't know at this point. Okay, I would really like quickly, Austin, I know, I know this is your topic to go yeah, on. Yeah, I got a lot to so say. So you go I got, first. I, just very, very little. Um, well, I think Alex is a little bit harsh. Uh, I think... <laughs> All the way out. I mean, he he doesn't have the tactical uh, ability. You know what, that, Dad? That you know what, that Dad? Needs to you, go you should, with. You should be in the front office for Manchester United because you display more decision making prowess than those buffoons in the front office in Manchester. You, I love it. Hard and firm. Ollie out. 
perfect. Let's find oh, the replacement yeah. now instead of like, oh, well, may- maybe if he beats Manchester City, we'll keep him. But if he loses, we're not going to keep him. Yeah, with the, with the team he has, you with the team you have with all these egos, you need a class manager to go with you. Antonio Conte would have been perfect because he had shown that he can develop these strikers into world world class players, and but also utilize Ronaldo well. I mean, he hasn't shown he can utilize Ronaldo well, but I'm sure he could. Like, I just think Ollie will not be able to handle this level of a team, and he's not a high-class manager. He is the type of manager to get you some results, but he's not the type of manager to play some good football and make your team great. Austin, go off. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I do appreciate the, the decision-making skills that Thad has there because I, I, I agree with you, you know, Card. I, maybe not – maybe I'm not as curt as you are about it. Maybe I'm not as, as – um, maybe decisive as you are, but I, I agree. You I need mean, to be decisive in this kind of I, thing though. I, at least I, in understand, my I understand that. But I think, I think there is, there's one thing that I can give as a let off for, for the Manchester United board and the front office and, and the coach, right. That us, or that me as a fan, right. That the other, however many tens of millions of United fans that are out there in the world, I think you're overestimating it a little bit right there that, that, that we don't see. And it's, it's what goes on in the back rooms, right. It's what goes on on the training field that we don't get to see. And I, you know, I would not be surprised. You look at someone like Fred, right, in the United team. I cannot stand Fred 95% of the season. However, like two games a season, he'll come, like today versus Manchester City, he was our best player besides David De Gea on the field. That's, I mean, that is disgusting. When Fred, the no-name from Shokhtar Donetsk out of Ukraine – is the best player on the field for the biggest <laughs> who, who, you, who you paid for, How? Poor, by the way. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I think, but there's one of two things that's going on there, right? Either Ollie is completely brain dead and blind, apparently, because he sees this, this you know, baby deer of a human being wander onto a field and somehow pull performances out of the out of thin air, right? <laughs> that's the best. Or, or he sees something in training that we don't, and he just can't perform on the field. That happens with players. I mean, there's, there's plenty of players that can perform in training and can't, you know, show up when they really need it. I think that that is probably what Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer is as a manager right now. He is Fred. He is the Fred of the managerial world. He can show <laughs> that up. That is not score. a good thing. No, That's a good not. analogy, no, it's actually. No, it's it I is. Like it. I, I think so. Right? <laughs> I like this the analogy. Is a guy, this is a guy that's going to training, scoring overhead kicks. Right and and megging people left, right, and center, whatever. And then he gets out on the field and he looks like a lost child. He looks like a child who lost their mother at the mall. I mean, just <laughs> wide eyed and, and off, completely. Austin. He's he he's just so frustrating because I think he did such a good job for the first two years of his reign as United manager. I mean, going from going from a fourth place finish to a third place finish. To a second place finish, finals finalists in the Europa League, semifinalists in the FA Cup, semifinalists two in, years in a row in, in the Carabao wait, in, Cup. In what league again? In, in was it? It wasn't the Champions League, was it? What was it? It was uh, the Europa League. Yeah, I mean, oh. you know, that's. But but ah, but, but I don't think I don't think that right now we're not Champions League quality. Right now, we're, we should not. We should be focusing on the Europa League. Right, this is but you can be Champions League quality. We can, and I understand that. But I think, I think what you get at United, and it's something that that I was going to bring up with the Xavi debate too, 
that I, I think that for him to be successful, that he needs to start pulling players out of La Masia and ditching the dead weight, like Thad said, right? What you get, and especially in England, you get lazy, arrogant, you know, overpaid millionaire children who play for these teams, right? You have people like Paul Pogba who can't off. keep his agent's mouth shut on the world stage, who undermines the manager, who undermines the club, and says, oh, no, I am bigger than Manchester United. No, you're not, Paul. No, you're not, Mino Raiola. Sit down and shut up. Or, right, as Zlatan Ibrahimovic would say, shut up and dribble. Do your job, right? Marcus Rashford. I love Marcus Rashford. I, I rate him, right, as a player. However, you need to come out and perform, right? You have no you have Marcus injury. Rashford you have slander. A... No Marcus Rashford slander. No, no, no. I love Marcus Rashford. I mean, he's he's one. Of, he's, a, he's going to be a United great someday. And but I, right no, now, not even not even with the game. Just like no, I, I understand. I, I, love I understand. Marcus feeding Rashford. feeding yes, hundreds of thousands of of low income children is he's the greatest charitable soccer player out there right now. I think probably besides Sadio Mane, like him and Sadio Mane. Right, but that's certainly besides they're, the they're point, both they're right? both amazing. What you run into is you have lazy, arrogant, overplayed children who you continue to put on the soccer field to underperform. That is what you get in England, especially because you think, hey, I got this. You know, I got the red jersey on. I got the little devil on my badge. That means that I can sit and do nothing and be lazy and still pull in 300,000 pounds a week. No, you play for the greatest team in the world, at least historically, right? You wow. play for the, t- well, I mean, and that's just that, from that a fan, right? Right, right. You look how at many, someone. How many? How many Champions League trophies do y'all have? Uh, three, right now. three, right now. Right, right. How, right. Many, how, listen, how many? How many does Messi have? Listen, listen, listen. How many, how many does Messi have? have? I believe thirteen. Right. Thirteen. Thirteen. I believe. Okay. Uh, that, that, okay. Right. Wait. Let's listen. Do, let's do a little bit. Of listen. Magic. Hold on. Let's do a little. This bit you're you're straying from my point. We're losing my point. The point is, you play for one of the greatest teams ever, and you're ruining it. You are taking an opportunity and you are, you are casting it aside because you don't care enough, right? That's why I, I love the way Roy Keane talks about United, right? He, he was saying today after the Manchester City game, talking about Eric Bailly scores an own goal. Luke Shaw directly responsible for the second goal that City scored, right? I give up. That's what he says. He says, I give up on these players because they, either they don't care or they aren't good enough. I think it's a mixture of both. And it isn't, it, I don't even think it's the manager at this point because we've seen when the players are on form, when the players are doing well, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer succeeds. Jose Mourinho succeeds. Louis Van Gaal succeeds until they start turning off for them, right? They, they've done this for four managers. David Moyes picked up, granted, an aging United team, but still a United team that had won the Premier League title the year before, gone within 10 months because the players didn't rate him enough, right? Louis Van Gaal. Picks up, again, a fairly solid United team. Not great, but fairly solid. You still have a couple of club legends, and you have one of the probably best defensive midfielders in modern history in Bastian Schweinsteiger that you then pick up in 2015, right? Dumpster fire. You're gone in two years. Jose Mourinho, one of the most celebrated managers of, the, of his time, yeah, comes in with, granted, a fairly shocking team has two years worth of success and is gone just like Ollie's about to be because the players are lazy. They do not care enough about, about the club, about the, the image that they are portraying, right? You, when you, and this is for any club, right? Arsenal, Mikel Arteta, same way club legend, lazy players, right? Here's you go with Ronald Koeman club legend, 
lazy players. You get it with a lot of club legends, and then you ruin their their name. Frank Lampard, club legend, lazy players, right? It is so infuriating to me when players just thrust all the blame onto managers, making it completely their fault, when it isn't. Do, do I think Ali is a, is a Premier League winning manager? Christ, no. Absolutely not. But he looked last year like he was going to be the guy to win us our first Premier League title in eight years. I mean, with the way that his team played last year, it looked that way. No one thought that. I, no, you, dude, a lot of United fans, right? When you're second place in the league, when you've beaten Man City twice on the season, right? You play well against Liverpool. Yeah, you play well against Chelsea possible. and Spurs and Arsenal and Leicester City, all the big top six, right? You play well against these teams. You show up and you finish second. You get to the Europa League final. Granted, obviously not the right competition, but you get to a final. And you would have won the final if David De Gea could have done his job, right? But you don't. You don't. I think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he's not a crap manager like everyone leads him out to be. He's running with crap players. Players that do not care enough about being yeah, I, I feel like I feel like at that point, I feel like at this point, you're kind of making excuses for Ollie. The, the mentality that I've, I've always taken is when there's a problem with the followers, default to what's going wrong with the leaders. And, and I feel like a lot of this complacency that you've been talking about in this, uh, they can't, you know, the, the guys don't want it and they don't, they don't represent the club well and they don't play hard enough. Right? And, and those are all legitimate issues. But I think that's a representation of, I think the real issue here lies with the Glazers and the Glazers have been a huge issue for a long time. But I agree. But on, on, on a lesser note, it lies with the managers not being able to get these guys to, you know, play, right? And, and, and so for me, this is kind of the decisiveness that I've been talking about. Like, where is the decisiveness with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? I, at least, I don't know what your stance is, Austin, um, but, for, but for me, I, I think he's done. And I think he, he was done at the end of last season. And I think he should have been done at the end of last season. I don't know why they didn't get rid of him, but I think it's, it's finally time to say, okay, enough. Like, he is not performing up to the level that he needs to be, and he hasn't for some time now. It's time to give him the axe. I think Manchester United, they don't need a full rebuild. I mean, this team is certainly capable of competing at the highest levels of European football. Maybe not like tier one with PSG and Man City. And I don't know if PSG is tier one, but Manchester City certainly um, and, and some other really great clubs. Maybe they're not that good, but they have the capacity to at least be a tier two team, to at least be a quarterfinals in the Champions League type team. They have the talent to get it done. They need the right guy in there at the top to just to to you know find a way to connect with the players and, and fit that Manchester United culture, right? Each club, this is something I've talked about, like a culture hire. Each club has its own culture. Each club has its own kind of mentality and, and style to it, and and there's there's certainly a, a, a collective spirit that surrounds every major club in in the sport and, and the fans have their own, um, you know, demands and expectations for guys. And I, I think Manchester United, Manchester United need a guy who can really mesh with the culture that they have and the demands that are placed on the manager. Uh, in addition to that, the demands that, that the fans place on the players. So I just don't think Ollie's the guy to do that. 
Um, and I think they need to find the right culture hire that, that can, you know, really start whipping the players into shape and, and bring in, you know, knows what the right player to fit the culture of Manchester United is and starts bringing in those culture fit players into the club. Listen, I, I agree with you. I agree with you that I, I don't think Ali's the man, but here's my problem. Then who is right? United fans. We, we don't so, know. We, well, no, here, here's, I don't, I don't think the person, the person, the person who the culture hire is for Manchester United right now, we don't know his name and, and Manchester United players. It's not the guy that you just like, uh, maybe we know his name, but it's, it's not the guy that you think like, ah, yes, this is going to be the guy to do it. You're not, you're not bringing in a big name guy. Maybe it's a promotion from within. Maybe, maybe you look to some smaller league and, and, and bring in, um, I don't know. I, I don't care who it is, as long as they fit with the culture of Manchester United, it doesn't have to be a big name manager. In fact, it probably isn't a big name manager, but it's the guy whose personality, whose demeanor, whose expectations for his players, whose, you know, tactical acumen fits with what Manchester United want to accomplish. I don't care who he is. I don't care where he is on the face of the earth. You bring that guy in because that, that, that is the same. In tons of other sports, you can see the success that culture managers have, right? They just, they, they fit the expectations mesh perfectly. They connect with their players. They connect with the fan base. They, they bring a positive atmosphere to the club day in and day out. They're the right guys to do it. Manchester United has not had that guy since Sir Alex Ferguson. None of the guys that they've had since him have been truly culture fits. I don't care where this guy is. I don't care where on the face of the earth he is. You need to find him and you need to bring him in. And, and all of these problems with, you know, there's being a disconnect between the manager and the fan and the style of club, that the, the style of play that they want to have at the club and the players that are at the club and the guys that they're buying. All of that goes away when you bring in the right guy. Okay. All right. So I, really quick, I, Thad, you're going to like what okay. I'm about to say. You're going to like what I'm about okay, to say. I'm just saying we, should, we need to wrap this up. So like yep. Austin, like 30 seconds. And then- okay. So first thing, you're going to like this. I'm going to crap on Sir Alex Ferguson here for a second. I think I think that a lot of the current problems at United are directly his fault, and I'll tell you why. Because he was too successful. He set a bar that is so incredibly difficult to meet for any manager, right? You, you've, we've had four, or rather three, good managers and one no-name in the last eight years, right? You have David Moyes, who stunk it up at United for 10 months and then was sacked. He is killing it for West Ham right now. You have Louis van Gaal, who, again, stunk it up for about a year and a half, two years at United, who is now killing it with the Dutch national team. You have Jose Mourinho, right, who's not playing great with Roma right now, but in his day was one of the best out there. The problem that you set is you have such a high level of expectation. You're going to have the same problem with Barcelona. You have the no, same that, problem. That's, that's Wait. chump. That, 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 Wait. Is, that is chump. You, you may not be able to do it with the lethality and, and perfection that you could do it with Sir Alex Ferguson, but at a club like Manchester United, as much as I crap on Manchester United, they, you, you should never, as one of the top-tier clubs in the world, you should never drop your expectations and say, we're winning too much. This is a problem. You know, we, we're, we were winning too much, and now, now winning too much is a problem for us. You never admit to that kind of thing. When you no, are no, no. as That's big not of my a stature, that is it, not my problem. It is that we, we set such a bar under Sir Alex Ferguson that will, unless you are Pep Guardiola, will never be repeated again by any manager, at least for the next significant amount of time. 
Who knows? Maybe Xavi at Barcelona pulls it out of thin air and he does that well at Barcelona for the next 26 years. Maybe. We'll see what happens. But what you set is you set a bar that is so unreachable for so many managers and you set a bar for the players that have grown up watching the Sir Alex Ferguson team that grew up in the United Academy saying, I want to do that. I want to win. And as soon as you don't get the wins that you're looking for, the players immediately, they drop off in quality. We've seen it with the last four managers. This is what happens. I think, honestly, if you're looking for a manager right now for Manchester United, Eric Ten Hag, the manager of, of Ajax, right? I think he would be the most quality name out there. Not a huge name, but he's pretty well sought after. And that's because he creates an atmosphere at a club that is unmatched in modern football. I think he'd be the best bet right now. And even then, I'm not sure he would succeed purely because of the bar that was set by Sir Alex Ferguson okay. and the yeah, bar um, that was set by the history I, of the club. I, I just so, want to say that is often that is a perfect name to be thrown out there. Um, but we do need to end this. So, uh, uh, Alex, you want to... Yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm just going to you know, say this, this one kind of final thing in, in response to that. Yeah, you'll never be able to achieve the same level of excellence that you were able to get under Sir Alex Ferguson. That doesn't mean that you you shouldn't. I don't know exactly how to put this. I'm as a United fan. If I were a United fan, I wouldn't drastically adjust my expectations for the team because if it can be done once, then I want to find. I want to try as hard as I can to find the guy who can do it again. And I don't make. I don't think they've made the serious efforts as they should, to find the guy who can... You're, you're not going to be able to replicate what he did, but at least kind of get close to that level of excellence. And, and they're just not where they should be right now. And, and I am not going to settle for less than what I think I deserve as a United fan. And for that reason, I think they should still keep looking, like I said, for that culture hire, that guy who, who sets the tone when he walks into the building every day and... and allows this team to be uh, to the level of machine success that we've seen clubs like Liverpool be, we've seen clubs like Manchester City be. But, and I mentioned this loosely earlier, the real problem is the Glazers. They need, they need a replacement. They need, they need new, new ownership. It, it's just terrible. Yeah, I, um, I would happen to agree with you, and I got nothing else to say because we do have to yeah. finish up. But, I mean, you've, I, I went on my little tangent, and I fully believe everything that I said. I mean, I, I, I yeah. cannot understand for the life of me. I know why it's not working, but I'm not sure how to fix it at this very yeah. moment. I, I, I'm a big believer in bringing in, I've said this over and over and over again, bringing in culture hires. I think you need to bring in the right guy to fit the persona of the club, that unique persona that you have as a Manchester United club. They need to bring in, they need to find that guy. They need to bring him in as soon as possible. Get rid of Ollie and find that guy. Anyway, that'll be enough for, uh, the Osmith Sports Talks podcast soccer segment. Champions League action is going to be ramping up as the season goes on. We're going to have that all covered. Uh, it's going to be great. And and obviously the coaching hires and, and you know, reflecting on Xavi and his first few games at Barcelona, we're going to have that all covered for you. And then if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer ends up getting fired, who we think the right replacement is for it, we'll figure that out. Thank you guys for joining us, and we'll see you next week. This podcast was edited by Gabriel Aguero.